It's Wednesday night, and that means that Grant and I are here on the Stats of War podcast, and we are breaking down what was, um, I might say, yet again, a pretty wild weekend for the Horn Frogs, Grant. Yeah, it was a really weird game, Parker. Uh, I was in the press box for this game. I was sitting next to uh, Shehan Jayaraj of, of, of Dave Campbell's Texas football Baylor grad, friend of mine, and I think by the end of it, we were both just kind of laughing because we really had no idea what to make of TCU versus Baylor on Saturday. It definitely uh, added some added some credence to the adage that you need to throw the records out for the rivalry game because that looked like two peewee teams who had not practiced before were playing football against each other um, and was kind of a disaster. So Baylor comes in, they beat TCU in triple overtime. Uh, 29 to 23 after a regulation score of nine to nine, um, three field goals in the second half, uh, for, for Baylor or sorry, two field goals in the second half for Baylor, one in the first half and three field goals in the first half for TCU, uh, in a very low scoring affair. No, so hey, it was nine to nothing at the half. That was, it was nine to nothing the, at the half. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's they right. Scored I, one of, they had a field goal in the third quarter and two in the fourth. TCU at the end of the first half had two first downs, had a first down on one drive inside the Baylor 30 and then kick the ball off. Baylor makes a boneheaded special teams play. They get the ball back and they get another first down inside the Baylor 30. TCU comes away with less than a touchdown total on both of those drives. Absolutely uh, in just infuriating game from a TCU offensive standpoint. Yeah. Uh, you want to kind of view it as Baylor has a really good defense because I think the Bears are pretty good on defense. Um, but man alive, Parker, it really felt like there were some missed opportunities. I mean, you look at Pro Wells' kind of drop catch in the corner of the end zone in the first Oof, quarter. Yeah, uh, Patterson blamed that on the sun. Uh, I kind of believe him because Pro Wells is arguably TCU's most sure-handed receiver at this point in the season. Um, Max Duggan kind of underthrew a pass to Jalen Rager that honestly I think could have been caught in the end zone. can't remember can't remember what quarter that was, but I thought it should have been a touchdown. Um, but besides that, it really wasn't very inventive, and it wasn't effective at all. It really, um, yeah, it really, it really wasn't. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing is like they just didn't, they just didn't finish drives um, at all. So if you look at, they had. Let me get my. I'm gonna get my numbers right because you know me. I'll spout off and say something that's like 80 percent sure. true. But so TCU had said nine scoring nine scoring opportunities. Their average starting field position was the their own 41.6 yard line. They they started their drives on average at their own 42. They scored 2.56 points per scoring opportunity. That includes Grant. That includes a first and ten three times in overtime where they scored two touchdowns on that. Uh, TCU just could not finish the ball once they got into scoring opportunities. Yeah, so you didn't watch this game live, right? I No, and and so um, I'll let you finish that line of reasoning. I screwed up because my, my wife was very gracious. She let me watch it in the car while we drove to Nashville um, mm. in the afternoon. We drove from Memphis to Nashville. And she, I, I saw the time of the recording. So I saw like when we were going into the second overtime... I saw, I was like, okay, TCU has the ball first. There's only like 20 minutes left in the recording. There's no way TCU win. Like I was able to backward and do right. and be like, damn it, we're going to lose this game. <laughs> right. So, hey, it's funny you mentioned that because me and Shayhan were both talking about how fast that game was going up until the overtime. Right. It would have been over at like 140 had it not been an overtime. Um, but the reason I brought up you not being able to watch it live is because while I was watching TCU in that third overtime, again, I think it was first and goal. I'm looking at the drive chart now because I, I, I want to make sure I get this right. So it, it was first and goal at the at the Baylor three, and then two plays later it was first and goal at the Baylor one after a face mask penalty on Baylor. Um, can Don't I just read? <laughs> Don't do this to me. <laughs> can I just read? I'm going to read it. Okay, Shaywell Olanoli will run for no gain. Shaywell Olanoli will run for no gain. Same play. Yes, Shaywell Alonaloo will run for a loss of three yards. Incomplete pass on a fade route to Jalen Rager. It's slot, inside shoulder slot fit. Yep. So uh-huh. dumb. Uh-huh. Third and goal was a rush for two yards from Darius Anderson that uh, David Balasami was called for a holding on. 
Third and goal, Duggan had to scramble. He got one yard uh, to the Baylor 13, and then his last pass was intercepted on fourth and goal from the 13-yard line. And was and was overthrown. You know the interception, whatever. It was it was overthrown. It didn't it didn't make it. It was there. overthrown, but yeah. he was also under pressure. Right. Like right, right, right. he had to get it to the end zone. That's basically what it was. So, okay, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the frivolous stuff first, and then we'll and then we'll break into that again. Was was Duggan in? Was he inbounds on the uh, the called back touchdown? I. So, if I had to answer, I don't think he was. I think it'd be really hard to overturn it, but I do think he was out of bounds. Um, I, I think you could argue whether or not it was irrefutable, but I, I do think he was out of bounds. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I agree with that, um, which stinks because you could see that. Like, I would definitely have wanted Charlie Brewer to be called out in the same situation. Sure, 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 sure. sure. And so I think I can understand that. But between that and then the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm I'm the worst guy. Was it? It was Travelance Hunt with the insane catch. Yeah, yeah, what? I, I found myself having to, like, explain that to my dad because he was like, there's no way he was in bounds, like, he was out or whatever, but it's kind of the same idea if you dive over the pylon, even if you're right. not touching anything. Yeah, and then he touched apparently. in bounds before he touched out of bounds, yeah, so. Um, which, so and and okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one thing. Credit to Valence Hunt because I think I've probably given him stick, and I've had the opinion all year that he really isn't very sure-handed, but... In a clutch situation, man, he came through. I mean, that was an incredible catch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, kudos to him. Yeah, for, yeah, for and, and love to see a guy step up like that. Um, just because, I mean, beginning of the season, he had a couple. Woof. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. Arkansas, Arkansas Pine Bluff, the first, like one of the first drives. Uh huh. Delton throws that long ball, and then Hunt catches it, and then just puts it on the ground, like just yep. hands it to Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah. Yep. So, um, good for him to, you know, look development over the course of the season that's all you can ask out of any of these any of these guys is get better over the course of the season so mm-hmm. that was awesome props to him um yeah so you you were at the press conference on tuesday and uh gary talked about hey i'm not gonna fire anybody in season yeah. and i want to hear your thoughts on that because to me for him to even say that for him to even acknowledge that means he knows something's gonna happen well, I, I at least think he knows that there's chatter. Um, I can tell you this. I'm not. I'm not going to repeat what he said, but during the kind of the media lunch beforehand, he came by and sat down and was kind of talking about how uh, a lot of things that pop up on Twitter are hearsay and speculation and blah blah blah. And he's <laughs> he said those things at press conferences before, but he um, <laughs> he was in a good mood on Tuesday, which is weird. And I think he was kind of more free-flowing than he has been in previous weeks um but yeah he he basically said that he he, th- he finds it uncouth finds it um disruptive to fire someone mid-season um i think he was asked about arkansas firing chad morris and florida state firing willie taggart mid-season um and from what i gather gary just doesn't believe in that he thinks it's disruptive to the program um disruptive to players um obviously unfair to, to whatever mid-season coach that is he says he won't even think about doing it uh, or making any sort of change until after the season but he he did throw in like and that doesn't mean he's going to make a change um this is the part where i get into pure speculation parker and so yeah. take everything i say with a grain of salt and just my own opinion at this point uh, he kind of went out of his way to point out the good things that Cumbie's done um, in terms of – and to Cumbie's credit, he developed Trevon Boykin. He was not a good quarterback in 2013, 2014 – or excuse me, 2013 until Cumbie got there and kind of turned it around. Um, he recruited Duggan. He recruited Justin Rogers, who obviously is transferring, but was a highly rated recruit when he got there. Um, also mentioned Matthew Baldwin, who I guess – you know who has the potential to be very good. And apparently Cumbie was big on getting him to TCU. So – all fair points, um, but Patterson kind of brought those up out of the blue. So, does seem like he's kind of a. If you're looking for this type of thing, you can make a, the argument that he's protesting too much. I would say, and, yeah. uh, and that's kind of the most um, polite way I'll put it. Well, so so can I pose a question to you that I I hadn't really considered because I thought it was a non-starter because sure. I will I'll say some things on the record. Sonny Cumbie is good with quarterbacks. Yep. Sonny Cumbie is a been an awesome recruiter for TCU. Yep. Um is there a world where Sonny Cumbie is still co-OC but doesn't call plays for TCU? 
do you think that's a possible outcome? Because I had said no, that's that's one hundred percent not going to happen. He's either fired or he's the play caller, and I think that might still be true. But I want to get your perspective on that. Yeah, well, so I don't have any inside info. Um, the one thing that I will say is that after SMU, when Patterson sent Cumby to the media, if you remember, and everyone thought that Patterson was kind of throwing him under the bus, um, Patterson's rationale was that Cumby wants to be a head coach, and that to and that in order to be a head coach, you have to learn how to face the media uh, when people are being critical. So if that's if that's Cumby's end game here, and if Patterson knows that, and I, I do think Patterson likes Cumby as a person, and from all accounts, Cumby's a good dude. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You never find anybody that will say anything different. Um, if Cumby wants to be a head coach, I, I would very much doubt that he would take a non-play calling kind of offensive coordinator role, um, just based on what we know from that. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty tough. Um, I think that's a conversation to have this offseason. I am uh, I've I've been I've been talking on Twitter with people. Look, Sonny Cumbie's the TCU offensive coordinator. I don't think he does a good job calling plays, but uh, we're not going to talk about replacements. We're not going to talk about anything other than the fact that I think he's doing a bad job. Uh, I, I, let me phrase that. Let me phrase that. I think he's done a bad job in a couple situations. Sure, I've tried to be diplomatic I, there. No, so, no, I I, I understand uh, and. And I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just saying for me, like, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have the inside information on, like, who TC's looking to, if they were to make a statement. I don't have the inside information. If I did, I would find a way to bring it out. But I don't know, so I'm not going to bother talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not a journalist, so, you know, I don't, I just, yeah, I and, wildly and, speculate. <laughs> right. And game by game, we'll point out where we think, hey, this was a bad call. But I, 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 I'm not smart enough to give you the bigger picture. Yeah. So, so I think, I think let's, let's, let's circle back to the Baylor game specifically because I could rant in viguities about study Cumbie for a little bit, but I think, I think there's real, really three ways this offense blew this game. Okay. Uh, three, three inflection points. Um, so that what I said before, end of, end of half TCU has uh, first and 10. No, no, no. Whoops. I messed that up. So sorry. Is the end of the second half? Oh my gosh! Well, okay, that's that's confusing. Um, I'm looking at I was looking at 2000 I was looking at 2018. Uh, okay, I just pulled up the ESPN. Okay, let me try that again. So, TCU end of half has um, first Which and half? ten. First half at the end of the first half has okay. first and ten at the Baylor 18. Comes away with three points. TCU. Baylor, I have Baylor 24. I Are you have, on ESPN? Oh, so there's two drives. Two drives. This is great radio. Okay, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. All right, yeah, yeah. There's the the first the, so the first drive, which is going to okay. be their last drive, and then yep. they kick the ball and Baylor fumbles it on the on the gotcha. kickoff, which okay. is yep. a, yep. as boneheaded a college play as you will ever see. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was almost that was in my mind, except it didn't result in a touchdown. That was up there with the SMU Baylor play, where the SMU guy just kind of like watched the ball go to the yeah. end zone, or excuse yeah, me, yeah. SMU Tulsa, and uh, the yeah. So that that was up there with that, and then after that. TCU has first and 10 at the Baylor 24 and then they get a first down and they have first and 10 at the Baylor 14. There's only eight seconds left, but they have the ball inside the 25 first down twice and they can't do anything with it. So I think that's the first point where TCU's offense kind of blew this game. The second point um, was I think with about five minutes left, TCU gets the ball first and 10 at Baylor's 45. Mm-hmm. And they go run, run, pass, punt. Um, just they they played for field position, uh, and they played for um, running the clock out. There's yep. five minutes left. You absolutely need points there. I cannot believe that. I thought they're going to lose in regulation. I can't believe you gave the ball to Charlie Brewer with time on the clock, and Baylor has three timeouts, and you weren't aggressive there. That's just inexplicable to me that you yep. that you'd say. My my team has shut down a good offense all game, and instead I'm going to ask them to do something Herculean again, as opposed to play play aggressive and try and get some points there. I just don't understand that at all, um, and so I think that's the second inflection point. Um, and then the third one that I think they really blew it uh, was was first in, first and ten or first first and goal from the one, and you can't get points. Uh, that just that seems that just seems crazy to me. That doesn't seem like a power five offense in 2019 should 100% of the time first and goal from the one should be able to get points there. Yeah, I agree. And um, 
I had the same thought. It, it, it was kind of tough <clears throat> in the post-game press conference. Um, Cordell, uh, man, I, I feel that. Cordell Iguagu, I, I'm very bad at pronouncing his last name. I apologize. Um, was there at the post-game press conference. And, um, he was asked about that drive, kind of about, you know, you have first and goal at the one-yard line, and you can't punch it in. Like, what does that say about the O-line, basically? Um, and Cordell was like, man, it hurts my heart. <laughs> it, it was tough to hear. He, mm-hmm. and he almost kind of stopped. He was like, we had first to go with the one. And the reporter was like, yeah. And he's like, man, like it, we got to do better. And, yeah. and listen, it hurts. And these are, you know, 20-year-old, you know, college men. I mean, it, but it's a D1 program. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they recognize it. Like, it hurts. They know it stinks. But when it's first to go with the one and you have to score to beat Baylor, you got to beat Baylor. Yeah. You got to make that play. That that and has to happen. Yeah, it has to happen. And I, I think you you mentioned it when I was reading off the plays. They did run the same play, like two or three times in a row. Three, well, they, so they did it three times. They did it twice to the right side, to the to the boundary, and then they did it once to the field three times in a yeah. row. Just oh my well, gosh! And we I think we talked about this last week, and if we didn't, we missed out. But against Oklahoma State. TCU ran like this beautiful speed option to the left side. And you and I were both like, where has that been? Why hasn't TCU run this? Like, great play. Like, in the press box last week or two weeks ago, it's Oklahoma State. When they lined up, I was like, this looks like a speed option. And they ran it, and it was perfect. And first, a goal from the one didn't run it. Second, a goal from the two didn't run it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know if they thought they had it on film and Baylor had seen it, whatever. But man alive, it seemed like they had that play in the book. That, that's also where you you'd love to have something in your back pocket like the zone dive with a with a slant option yeah. tag there like some kind yeah. of RPO just just extra dimension hell even the bubble screen tag which we've seen against Texas they ran it a couple times and I think it was just a play fake but that's clearly in the playbook I would rather sure. them do that and spread it out instead of just line up and say well we're gonna go that's not a that's not a detriment to uh, TCU's offensive line that's not a detriment to Shewo or to Darius. That is a detriment to Baylor knew it was coming. Also, we talked about this last week. Baylor has the biggest human in the entire world playing nose tackle. Like, run away from that guy. I don't I don't understand. Yeah, don't don't run at Bravian Roy. Like he, oh my gosh. he got called for the face mask that gave TCU the extra set of downs. Still mm-hmm. don't run at him. Like mm-hmm. he's not gonna make that mistake again. He'll just nope. eat you on the next play. Like it, it's not worth it running at him. Um but they did twice in a row. I just uh yeah, woof. Um, I do want to give a shout out. I don't know what your numbers are, um, but the TCU defense played extremely well in that game. And yes. I, I think I texted you this um, on Saturday. It's tough because there were times where you could say, man, if the defense had made this play, the game would have been over. Especially, obviously, the, the big one is the touchdown for Baylor in the second overtime, uh, fourth and five, and that, that uh, slant to Denzel Mims. Patterson mm-hmm. actually talked about that and said that's really the first time he blitzed all second half. And – Mims is one-on-one with Gladney and Patterson said Gladney had played really well all game. Mims just beat him on that play and they had no help over the middle. But again, that's just an opportunity where they had a chance to stop the game, just didn't do it. But man alive for 60 minutes, they played so good. Yeah, and you can't, and you can't look. Your your offense can't go over in the second half and then blame the defense. That's yeah, yeah that, for no, sure, that's crazy. For sure, for sure. and no, um, crazy. I mean defense, awesome. First quarter, Baylor had a nine percent success rate. That is yeah. punching an opponent in the mouth. And mm-hmm. honestly, with the offense, you get a couple drops. I mean, TCU easily could have been up seventeen to nothing in the first half, if easily. not twenty one nothing. Yep. Um. And so that's that's a different conversation about them beating on one play. And and again, yeah, you can't ask your defense to play more than sixty minutes with an offensive performance like that. Um. Other things that that stood out to me. So I talked about TCU's points per scoring opportunity was was abysmal. So. Uh, national average is 4.4 points per scoring opportunity. TCU was at 2.56. Just couldn't close. TCU, um, on passing downs, only 28% success. Uh, the recipe for a freshman quarterback success is not, is not to get him into obvious passing situations. And so, um, TCU did that a bunch and they couldn't really do anything with it. Um, the other one I noticed is this turnover luck stat. So, uh, again, I'm looking at Bill Conley's advanced box scores, which are just great tools. Um, and he has TCU at 15 points in the negative of turnover luck. And so he gets that from um, 
turnovers, there's there's a there's this st- stochastic component to turnovers. There's a random component to turnovers, right? And so he takes interceptions and passes defensed and then fumbles forced and says, hey, it's about 50% and says, here's how many turnovers you should have had. And then turnovers are about five, um, worth five points of luck there. And so he's saying TCU got unlucky three times on turnovers and that cost them 15 points. Um, and so that's what's really, really hard. Baylor's postgame win expectancy was only 48%. Um, and that was a three overtime game. And again, that's that's Baylor who is, you know, 12th in the nation now, I think, ranked overall. Um, this is really a game that, that felt very winnable. And it's really frustrating, just like the Kansas State game, just like the Oklahoma State game, to have a very winnable game, this time against a really good opponent and not be able to take advantage of it. SMU game as well, four games decided yeah. by one point. Uh, yep. Baylor had and the, and the, and the Iowa State game was 11 points in the second in the fourth quarter yeah that was yeah, yeah. that was within striking distance for sure baylor had eight yards in the first quarter <laughs> 10 passing yards negative two rushing yards crazy i, um, I mean I, it, tcu had so many chances to win that game and yep. they just didn't for for whatever reason i i'm not smart enough to know the reason but they just didn't win it and and it was <sighs> I don't know. I, 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 I'm sure it, as frustrated as we are, Patterson and the coaching staff and the players are 30 times as frustrated. It's just it's it's tough to kind of watch it at, at points when every game this team has a chance to win. And sorry, not to go on a tangent, but Patterson did compare it to the the 2013 season, which TCU lost a lot of one score games that year, finished with a four and eight record, and then a year later won the Peach Bowl. Um, let's, okay, let's go positive. I'm here. Let's do it. Let's so, do it. Listen, okay. Look, 2013, TCU played 17 true freshmen. Uh, I don't have the, the accurate count for how many freshmen they played this season, but it, it's been a lot. Uh, and a lot of those guys have gotten really, really good development, especially on defense. Our Darius Washington is incredible, is going to be incredible. Oh, my gosh. I think Patterson LT's- turned him infectious yeah. because he has such a good attitude yeah. in most football. Um, LaKendrick Van Zant, sophomore, probably out for the rest of the year, by the way, so not great. Um, but can play safety or linebacker, um, probably the most athletic guy on the field. Oshaw Mathis finally had a breakout game. He woke up. Hell yeah. He did. Great game as a redshirt freshman uh, as a defensive end. Garrett Wallow, still a sophomore, still absolutely killing it at linebacker. Uh, obviously dug in a freshman. Uh, Tay Barber, sophomore. LT's Look, nephew had a great game? What did he say? LT's nephew had a great game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, true freshman, started, broke up a pass. Played incredible. Um, yep. Look, the gra- I don't mean to be a Pollyanna. The groundwork is there, man. I mean, it just it's one of those things where TCU fans, especially in the last decade or so, aren't used to having two back-to-back bad seasons. Um, last year, winning record, but let's be honest, no one's going to call it season of success. This year, it's not great, and bowl eligibility is going to be a stretch, but next year might be. Man, there's potential. I mean, you can be yeah. really positive if you want to. So, um, yeah. So, so, so spinning that uh, the, a bit again, Bill Conley, whose ideas everyone builds off of, yeah. um, kind of okay. has this thing about like one score losses and then continuity. And so he, you know, he always touts like Notre Dame. I think I, I, I forget my my terms. I can't remember if it was 2011 and then 2012 or 2012 and then 2013. But Notre Dame, four and eight, ton ton of one score losses, and the next season they go to the BCS championship. Um, How'd that game in? Well, no comment. Uh, but all that to say, there is an idea that if you're young and you lose a lot of close games, you're you're going to regress to the mean the next season and you're going to improve. And right. so um, I think TCU – so Gary Patterson's calling card is no, no two back-to-back losing seasons. In fact, I yep. think aside from this year and last year, um, he had only once gone single-digit wins in consecutive seasons. Um and his big his big thing there was always the development cycle. It was always we're bad, but we've got a quarterback, and next year we're going to be better. Um, and so this was the first year that he had a bad season, and then didn't have that quarterback coming back. And mm-hmm. so we knew we had reason to think this isn't going to go well. Um, and so if you want to be positive, you could say, all right, this is a discontinuity from last off season. Um, this is this is uh, unfortunately we have to have a stumble year because this is the the year before the year. Um, and so I think you could feel really good about that, especially seeing some holes in basically every, like 
there's not a team in the Big 12 who is elite right now. And right. so saying, hey, if we grow up, there's there's some opportunity. So, I, again, I think that the offensive play calling could be better. But I think that you've, you've got to be excited about the talent that's on this team. Um, just given the fact that it's a, it's a damn mess and they've they've been in every game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so first off, I, I just had to look it up. So 2012, TCU went 7-6, and six, lost the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, and then the next year went 4-8. and eight, And the next year won the Peach Bowl. And no offense to the Rose Bowl team, probably the best TCU team under Patterson, 2014. Um, um, I, I looked this up the other day. By S&P, they were plus 25 that season. Rose Bowl season was plus 23. So, yeah. Okay. They were. They were. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and look, I, as much as I like to pretend to be a, an, an objective journalist, I'm a TCU alumni, um, but I try to be a realist, and I think if you check the text messages between me and Parker, you'll find that we're not trying to be giant optimists and Pollyanna and ap- apologists for this TCU team, but there is reason to be encouraged. It's just <laughs> no, one is a, going no one to, has accused me of that. <laughs> right, it's just going to be next year. And, yeah. and maybe that's – look, and, and even if it is with Cumby, I mean, I, I, I don't know. But the progression on offense that has to come because TCU – because Cumby is a good um, developer of quarterbacks and Duggan will develop and, hell, maybe Baldwin will challenge him for all we know. I, I don't know. Um, and then on the defensive end, like, there's – knock on wood, basically no way TCU regresses next year. Like, there's going to be a big leap in 2020. Especially because have to kind of wait this season out. Offensive line guys have gotten some reps too, which I think is yeah. really, really important. Because um, yeah, that would be your one concern. But yeah, so again, I don't want to be the wait till next year guy. There's there's things this year. But um, like, well, I saw, and then we should probably take a break and transition. Sure, but um, sure. I saw like they're talking about whether they should redshirt Colt Ellison. Yes, yeah. redshirt him. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why is that even a question? I think they will. I think yeah. they will. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just funny to see them talk about that. Yeah. Um, Okay, concluding thoughts on the Baylor game. One of the weirder games I've ever watched. After Very the weird. first TCU Baylor game I've ever attended in person, somehow. Um, also weird. <laughs> yeah, also weird. Um, Baylor is a really good team. I think they are better than what their co- current college football ranking is. Um, I think their defense is extremely good. I think TCU just has a really good game plan going in on their defensive end. And Washington and the Kendrick Van Zant they played at the right time. And... and Glad he played good coverage, and O'Shawn Mathis had a breakout game. I think this is kind of the sign that we needed where to believe in TCU going forward as it is one of the best defensive teams in the conference in the country and just the team that doesn't have it on offense for whatever reason and needs to make changes going forward. But it was so weird that it's hard to get any read on it. Right, it is one of those. It is one of, like like I said, it is one of those throw the records out rivalry games. Really wish TCU could have pulled it out because they had every opportunity. But um, again, some some things to be optimistic about for sure. Th- some things to improve. But um, yeah, on the whole, frustrating game, but but yep. also encouraging. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear about a mattress or American Ninja Warrior podcast or whatever. Oh, shut and down then we'll... fullcast. I I honestly I've listened. It hasn't been shut down fullcast in oh, a couple weeks. Dang it. Uh, I think they heard us and they said screw those guys. <laughs> uh cool let's take a break all right grant we are back and we should talk about tcu and texas tech so the horned yep. frogs are 32nd in snp plus they've fallen in consecutive weeks now they are 57th in offense 29th on defense texas tech on the other hand is 47th overall they sit at four and five with the 37th best offense and the 83rd best defense in the nation so TCU goes to Lubbock, and um, I talked to a guest earlier today, um, Hunter Clark, Hunter Cook, excuse me. Oh, you talked to um, Hunter. Yeah, Hunter had a, had a conversation. Um, I wanted to have him on with you, but but uh, he had to go a little earlier today. Oh, man. So um, talked to Hunter, and we decided that this is legitimately a what the hell, uh, a what the hell series, TCU yeah. Texas Tech. The road team has won the last five matchups. Um since 2012, when it came back, there has been one game when TCU, uh, one game when a team blew out the other one, and that was TCU winning, uh, throwing 82 points on on old Cliff Kingsbury, um, and even that was a genuine. No one expected that, so that was a what the hell game. This is the the weirdest series in the Big 12. I think I'm okay to say that, um, looking at it, and so TCU goes to Lubbock and is looking to secure. Um, 
basically bowl eligibility on the line here with uh, Oklahoma and West Virginia remaining after this game and needing two wins. Parker, without looking it up, and I'm going to give you five seconds. Okay. Can you give me the name of the rivalry trophy between TCU and Texas Tech? Saddle. Something. It's a saddle. It's about, I, I, I had completely forgotten about that, and so I picked up the media guide on Tuesday, and it said Battle for the Saddle. And I was like, huh, <laughs> forgotten about that one. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, especially playing at Tech, I think even Patterson acknowledged that it's a strange place to play, whether it's at 7 p.m. or 11 a.m., like it's going to be on Saturday, um, and it'll be cold when it kicks off. Um, but like you said, the road teams won somehow. Again, none of this adds up whatsoever. It's a really, so- really weird rivalry. Tech's been a weird team in recent years under Cliff Kingsbury because they obviously have the potential to score as many points as they want at any given time and also give up 80 points on occasion. Um, under Matt Wells, I think it's going to be a lot more stable and a lot more uh, <laughs> discipline's not the right word, but just normal, I think would be a good way to put it. Uh, but man alive, yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible to predict what will happen between Tech and TCU. Definitely. Um, let's let's start with Texas Tech's offense. So they are um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in the Big Twelve in EPA per play. Uh, just just slightly negative. They are negative point zero five points per play on the rush and positive point zero two points per play on the pass. So um, slightly better on the pass, but who isn't these days? Sure. Um, and I okay. Here's here's my trivia. So I had a, I had a trivia for you as well. Good. Without looking it up. Jet Duffy's QBR rating. So not the actual number, but his position nationally on the season. Where does he rank? This this is going to astound you. No way you get this. This is going to astound you. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to guess 57th. <laughs> the dude has a 75.3 QBR. He ranks 19th nationally. Jet yeah. Duffy. Jet Duffy. 19th nationally. He has been shockingly consistent. Not good, mind you. Shockingly consistent. Well, what he has 10 touchdowns and two interceptions. I know that much. So he's not making a whole lot of terrible mistakes. And he's been very, he he only has like 47 rushing yards on the season. He's very, very smart about throwing the ball away. He's very smart about taking yards when he can get them. He's very smart about checking down and making something out of nothing. He has been, for all the the drop-off you thought they were going to have with Alan Bowman, honestly, he's been pretty good this season. And I'll say this, too. He has a really, really good offensive line guarding him. Um, Tech has, I think, and I need, to, I need to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure Tech has the biggest offensive line in the Big 12. No starting lineman is under six foot five. Matter of fact, there are four that are 6'6", six, six, and their left guard is 6'5". And all of them are over 300 pounds. Um, they're big wow. boys up front yeah. in Lubbock. Um, and I think, uh, looking again, I think they're seventh. Um, and sacks allowed uh, among Power 5 teams. Uh, I can double-check that. But um, Anyway, the offensive line is extremely good. So they give Duffy time to um, throw the ball. Like you said, he's efficient. He picks his spots. Um, yeah, man, I mean, they're a good, solid offensive team. Do you know who's a grad assistant at Texas Tech, Parker? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I should. He's a. will give you a hint. He played 10 years in college. <laughs> JT Barrett? <laughs> Chucky Keaton. What? Yeah, noted Matt Wells quarterback at Utah State, Chucky Keaton. That's now hilarious. At, uh, at Texas Tech. That's I, a I, name, I swear man. I watched that guy when I was a junior in high school and then also when I graduated college. Um, but now I'm in, pretty uh, sure when I was when I was born, my dad my dad held me in his arms and looked at the TV and said, man, Chucky Keaton's playing a great yeah, game right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was a grad assistant at Tech. So, um, That's crazy. That's one thing that Tech noted in their media guide is that uh, Wells kind of brought basically his entire staff um, from Utah State to Tech. I think they've done a really good job of implementing their system, everything like that, in Lubbock. Um, they're a well-coached team. It's only going to be up for the Red Raiders coming forward, um, just kind of a year where they have to undergo those growing pains. But they're a dangerous team. Definitely. Yeah. So I've, I've got some granular stats, you know, I'm breaking down these tendencies, but before I get to those, I did see a stat today. Uh, Brian, Brian Freemau does the uh, Freemau efficiency index, which mm-hmm. is a points per drive based system. And uh, someone was looking at that and said the biggest drop off from 18 to 19 uh, and looking at teams who, who dropped off the most and Utah state was one of them, which I think is a testament to Matt Wells and how sure. like 
good he had his system going. So um, he definitely definitely knows what he's doing there. In the open field, so that's your own 25 to your opponent's 35. Texas Tech is 23rd in the nation in EPA per play, and they are 16th in success rate on passing downs. And then on standard downs, so non-passing downs, they're 32nd in the nation on EPA per play, and they're 50th in success rate. So uh, really, really a team that can kind of open it up and move the ball when they need to, which is um, what you expect out of Texas Tech is, you know, fast and fast and loose on offense. Um, but they, they really are they really are impressive offensively this year, especially when you consider that um, Jet Duffy is filling in, which I think everyone thought was going to be a worst case scenario. Yeah, and Duffy had played in, in, in the past and he wasn't necessarily a bad quarterback, but you know, I think they actually started a, a different quarterback, Parker, in between Bowman and Duffy. I, I got to look at the list, but um, yeah, it, it's it's crazy that Wells has been able to kind of keep that efficiency between Alan Bowman going out, Jet Duffy coming in. I think a lot of that has to do with their wide receiver core. Um, T.J. Vasher is an incredible athlete at wide receiver. Um, he's a weapon that any quarterback would be lucky to have. But um, yeah, man, they're very good. Um, it's going to be kind of strength on strength between. Tech's offense and TCU's defense on Saturday. Definitely. You know what I think is interesting about TJ Vasher is he leads the team in uh, receptions. He leads the team in yards. He leads the team in touchdowns. His longest reception, though, is only 39 yards this season. Yeah. Um, so they've yep. been very strategically to get him the ball, which, again, testament to a smart offensive quarterback, he, or excuse me, smart offensive coach, knowing he has a backup quarterback, saying, I'm going to get my best receiver the ball. Um, and I'm not going to necessarily make it a make or break play. We're just going to rely on him, which is right. which is really interesting to see. Yeah, Texas Tech has um, of guys who have ten at least ten receptions. They have seven who average over ten yards per reception. Um, wow, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, that multiplicity is really what kills TCU. You know, you look at SMU, um, and you look at Baylor, and you look at uh, Oklahoma State wasn't as multiple but we weren't game planning for for kind of a second option there when when a team is multiple man tcu uh struggles a little bit so it'll be interesting to see if if texas tech can convert that for sure um a first off uh i I wasn't dreaming uh texas tech started jackson tyner against oklahoma a quarterback and that didn't work very well um and the other thing is yeah just this is not just another note on basher i have a friend of mine who's a, a high school basketball coach uh, used to coach at Wichita Falls Ryder, where T.J. Vasher went to high school and said that Vasher is by far the best athlete he's ever seen on any sort of field whatsoever. So take that what you will. That's what TCU's up against. And, I mean, TCU's seen good receivers before, no, and yeah. they will Look, continue the to see them again. Them. Yeah. The is full of them. It's just he's a weapon, and they need to be aware of him. Yeah, in the in the um, in the rushing game, uh, kind of flipping into the other the other side of the offense, um, TCU or excuse me, Texas Tech is averaging uh, about four point six yards per rush, but uh, a Thompson is over five hundred yards, and if you combine their leading rush, uh, rushers, which are Thompson, Shine, and Henry, they're well over a thousand yards, and so they don't have that one guy that they rely on, a la Chuba Hubbard, but they they kind of they kind of get some fresh legs in there, and that three headed monster is is a really good rushing attack, which feels weird for a Texas Tech team that has been you know empty set more often than not the the past few times we've seen them. Yeah, but the thing is, Baylor kind of had the same deal last week. I mean, between uh, uh, Hasty Ebner and. Man alive, I'm forgetting the other running back's name. I've already put that information out of my head. But <laughs> TCU kind of went up against that last week, is basically what I'm saying. And and, and they, they did a good job stopping it. So, um, yeah, Tech has a solid bevy of running backs in the backfield. But I don't think it's any – like, if you, if you want to be concerned about something, it's not the run for Texas Tech, despite the really good offensive line. And like you said, despite some talent in the backfield, it's the pass where TCU is going to have to um, to make plays in order to stop the Red Raiders. Definitely. Um, okay, I want to flip to the other side of the ball because speaking of weird things that are happening in Texas Tech, their defense is fourth yeah. in the Big Twelve in EPA. Um, they are they are at just uh, just slightly negative point zero zero eight negative point zero zero eight. Which remember, negative EPA for defenses is good. It means you're limiting the value that your opponent gets per play. Um, Texas Tech's defense has been a, a shockingly resilient kind of bend but don't break defense 
Yeah, and it centers around two guys, and, and we can get to them. First off is Jordan Brooks. Um, he's a linebacker. Um, he's basically Texas Tech's version of Garrett Wallow. Um, he's second in the nation in tackles for loss per game at two per game. He's fourth in solo tackles per game at 6.7 and seventh in total tackles per game at 10.9. Um, David Balasomi um, on Tuesday, TCU offensive lineman, like singled out Brooks. He's like, yeah, that guy just flies from sideline to sideline. Like he is an incredible player. Um, he's at linebacker, and then Douglas Coleman the third leads the entire FBS with eight interceptions this season. I did a double check. I went back to the play-by-play because I didn't believe that on ESPN. Yeah. Eight interceptions. Eight that interceptions in, in seven games. He didn't have one in the first game. Like, he's had him in the last seven games. Um, That's or the crazy. first two games. Uh, he's 6'1", 200. I mean, he's not overly big. He's not like a small and quick guy. He's just an average height, you know, whatever. But he's just smart and aggressive, and he will make a play. He's predatory. He's aggressive. He's what you want in a safety Um now that TC was letting uh, Max Duggan okay. throw the ball, like now they have to scheme around him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I wonder, I wonder if that lockdown defensive back doesn't force uh, Cumby's hand a little bit to kind of integrate. Look, Pro Wells on the cross—that's that's an amazing play. Um, and so wonder wonder if that shorter passing game will come alive just because they respect so much Coleman and his ability to find the ball and his ability to be disruptive. He also has two, um, two passes defended on top of those interceptions. Uh, and so that's, that's 10 balls that, that plausibly could have been intercepted this season, which is just unreal um, for a, for a defensive back. And he picked off eight of them. I yep. mean, that's how good his hands are. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's the other, that's the other stat yeah. that's so amazing to me is um, if you look at their solo tackles or, uh, Brooks and Coleman have over one-fourth of Texas Tech's solo tackles. They have over one-fifth of their total tackles, so including assists. Um, The dudes are just everywhere. That's just incredible that they're so reliant on that. The thing that I brought up a little bit, knowing that TCU has a a really experienced offensive line and two really good running backs, their top eight tacklers are linebackers or defensive backs. Mm -hmm. The defensive line has not really been disruptive. And a little bit of that's by design, but also that seems like a little bit of an opportunity for TCU. For sure. It absolutely does. Um, and this is also going to be kind of a – you hate to say this, but it might be sort of a test for the TCU offensive coaching staff to see, okay, clearly Tech has two people you have to scheme against. Can you scheme against them? Can you take Brooks out of the game? Can you take Coleman out of the game? There, Brooks is going to have some tackles, and Coleman is going to play well in coverage, but can you stop them from having career days? Um, this would be a good test for the TCU offense to just kind of get around those guys. It'll be a good test for Duggan as well, and, and we'll be able to see on Saturday if he's able to look Coleman out of you know out of making a play or, or, or things like that, just kind of read the defense. But um, those are two focal points to – data points that we can look at and say, okay, how did TCU fare against these guys and how did that turn out uh, on Saturday? So I, I'm very excited, to be honest with you. I think it's a great litmus test for TCU. I do, and I, and well, so part of me feels bad because it's like, man, I hate that first-year coach with a backup quarterback is kind of TCU saying, hey, here's who we are. But, you know, like we talked about earlier, TCU's in a transition year as right. well, realistically. Um, and so... That is that is kind of thing. Again, also if you're thinking about you know making a bowl, you have joint probability of winning the next three games. You you got to have this one. This feels a little bit like like a a bowl eliminator for uh, whoever loses. For here. sure, for sure. And I I do want to make one other point about Tech, which is if you look at their wins at the Big Twelve, which is Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Um, Oklahoma State's a ranked team. West Virginia rebuilding year under the, under Neil Brown. Um, Tech dominated the first quarter in those games. Um, against Oklahoma State, it was 13 nothing after the first quarter and 20 to nothing with like 30 seconds gone in the second quarter. And I watched that game in the first half. Tech was more physical, was more aggressive, looked like the better team against Oklahoma State. They're not, but in that game, they were just wildly aggressive and physical and blew Oklahoma State off the ball. Standing against West Virginia last week, it was 21 to three at the end of the first quarter, um, and. They just built the lead, didn't give it away. In the four games that Tech has lost in the Big 12, they're averaging 2.5 points in the first quarter. 
so it comes down to a lot. Can Tech kind of build that early lead? Can they blow you off the ball in the first 15 minutes? Not a great omen for TCU, which hasn't been a good first quarter team this year. Yeah, TCU started very slow. You know, we talk, I posted on Twitter and we talked about last week kind of that that slow. TCU only plays well in even numbered quarters. Um, yeah, and that much. is what that is what you know you guys will you guys will hear this listen to this but that's what Hunter was talking about is is kind of the same thing we said for TCU look if you can get a score a stop and a score you're gonna win the game yep uh, to start the game and so uh, that's that's what Tech is looking to do just because that defense if TCU gets behind and has the pass man that defense is is pretty ferocious when they know what's coming um, you look at you look at kind of their standard downs across all all parts of the field they're um. They're, they're pretty stout. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Um, Grant, let's, let's take a, let's take another little break. Cause we contractually have to, sure. uh, that's a joke. I don't have a contract, but, um, we'll take a break and come back and, and, uh, wrap up, uh, talking about Texas tech. Wait, you're getting paid. So Grant, let's, uh, we've previewed, you know, offense, we previewed defense. We've kind of talked about how TCU could poke and prod what they need to do. Let's, let's put some, uh, let's put some rubber to the road here and let's talk about a prediction this weekend. What do you think is going to happen, and what do you think uh, is, is TCU's best-case scenario? Okay, so I think, on paper, I think TCU should win this game. I think TCU's been in one-score games throughout the Big 12 slate. I think Texas Tech has shown its ability to put up a stinker on occasion. I mean, they lost to Kansas. Um, so I, I think TCU should win this game. I think best-case scenario is that the offense plans its way around Coleman, around um, Dylan Brooks, uh, or excuse me, Jordan Brooks, um, and finds a way to put up points early against Texas Tech. They get Darius Anderson, Shaywell, Alana Lua involved, like you said, um, kind of press the Texas Tech defensive line and get to the second level, um, rip off chunks in the run game. And TCU's defense finds a way to, you know, like you said, Jet Duffy, TJ Vasher haven't connected on many big plays this year. TCU's defense continues not to allow that, um, limits anything past five yards in the passing game, and TCU wins, you know, best-case scenario, call it 35-17. I think more realistically, you're looking at more of a 27-28 to, or excuse me, kind of like a 28-20 to 20 win for, for TCU. I respect that. I think I'm I'm in the similar vein. Uh, where I look at is really because it comes down to in the in the open field, TC is pretty good on offense and and on defense. Um, they just really struggle kind of in that finishing drives, especially on offense. And I look at the um, I look at the Texas Tech offense, and inside the opponent 35, they slow down pretty considerably um, on passing downs. They're 72nd overall on first down. They're 114th in EPA per play. In uh, on standard downs, they're 40th per play. So um, their offense does does slow up a little bit on on scoring opportunities, and so I think that's that's pretty important uh, for TCU to take advantage of. If they can if they can hold Texas Tech to three and not six, I think I think they'll do a lot of damage here. I think this one's gonna get weird. Uh, I'm I think we're gonna <laughs> really. Hit 30s. That's not TCU style in 2019. A weird game, Parker. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like it's weird to predict that a high-scoring game in in Lubbock is going to be there, uh, or is is going to be weird. But yeah, so I'm I think TCU pulls this out. I think it's I think it's a field goal late, and then TCU tacks one more on. Um, so give me TCU thirty six. Ooh, spicy! Can I get there? I think I can get there. Yeah, thirty six to twenty seven. Hold on, I'm doing math. How do you get to thirty six? No, twenty five. 36. So 36 is three touchdowns, three touchdowns and five field goals. No, 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 no. Fake news. I take that back. I want 33-27. 33-27. Okay. Okay. That's easier. I'm fine yeah. with that. I'm fine with that. That works. <laughs> uh, I was trying to do a little scoregami over here, evidently. So three um, touchdowns and four field goals? Is that better? Uh, TC is going to get five safeties. That's what's okay, going to happen. Okay, great. I love it. I love it. That's what's going to happen. Um, Grant, real quick, let's just let's just rapid fire. Uh, let's pick some of these more some of these Big Twelve games. Okay. All right. So well, let me pull up the Big Twelve games. Hold on one second. Well, I was going. I was just going to read a true them to rapid you. fire yeah. because I'm pulling them up right now. All right. Hit me, Parker. What do you got? Okay. Uh, I've got Kansas 
at number 22, Oklahoma State at 11 a.m. I'm Who you go, got? What's o- your thought? I'm going to go Oklahoma State on that one, Barker. I, I, yeah, Kansas City going to win that game. I think Oklahoma State, it's, it's wild to me that they're number 22. I think they're not that good. I think, like, Kansas State should be higher than Oklahoma State. Yes, I agree with that. Um, but also, I think I lead it. I think I think Kansas could win that game. I don't no, think. No, not at Oklahoma State. Yes, come on. Yes. Okay. Here's the thing. I did this really stupid thing this off season. Where you pick where... Kansas to win games? No. Okay. One, they've been good. Two, um, I did this thing where I was like, what if the season began in October? Because like a couple of baseball writers are really like say like, let's cut out the first month and see if that changes our perception. And I think if you did that this season and said, what if we just cut out before Kansas switched offensive coordinators? You would have a very different impression of that team uh, and a very dis- different impression of Oklahoma State. So, Because uh, that takes out the close Texas win. So I'm, I'm going hard recency bias. I think Kansas makes the upset. Sure. Listen, I would love for that to happen. Every time Kansas wins a football game, it makes me smile. And, Although and the t- seriously, I think Les Miles, like I was a fan of that hire. I think he will turn out to be a decent hire. At least just get him back to... Like four and eight, yeah. I think he can get four and eight seasons in Lawrence, and that's better than they have been. So yeah, fine, I'm down Definitely. with it. Let's do it. Um, I also, yeah. So it's at two thirty. We have Texas going to number nineteen. Texas going to Iowa State. Who you got? Iowa State. I feel like Iowa State has had a couple of we're better than our record seasons, and um, they, I think that's the case right now. They've lost four games, and that seems just implausible to me. Um, Texas is getting a little healthier, but I think I think Iowa State rolls in Ames. I did too. I think the defense is really good, and I think it limits um, Sam Ellinger kind of like TCU did. West Virginia uh, goes to Kansas State at two thirty. Who you got? Kansas State uh, matchup of two first year head coaches. Um, Chris Kleiman just has that program farther along than Neil Brown does at West Virginia right now. Dude, because Neil Brown keeps starting Austin Kendall, which is really <laughs> smart. I'm gonna. This is my podcast. So I'm gonna take a detour. Here's the thing. If I was the first-year quarterback, I would not switch quarterback or a first-year coach. I would not switch quarterbacks. Look at what Chad Morris did. Think about how much blame Chad Morris at Arkansas brought on himself by playing quarterback carousel. No, dude. Like it stinks that he's throwing Austin Kendall under the bus, but that's a smart decision. I get it. Yeah, uh, Kansas yeah, State wins sure. that game pretty handily. Um, all right, the big one: Oklahoma at Baylor. Game day. The biggest game in Waco since uh, 2014, probably. Mm-hmm. Who do tickets you take? As, what do you got? Tickets as low as $59, according to ESPN. Um, I I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, I, I, I don't think Baylor's defense could stop Jalen Hurts, um, but I also don't think Oklahoma's defense can stop Charlie Brewer, um, considering Oklahoma gave up 41 points to Brock Purdy last week and the Sooners almost lost that game. I think Oklahoma wins, Um but I think it's going to be another really, really close game. Um, call it, I mean, 42-41 was the Iowa State score. That sounds about right for Oklahoma-Baylor, to be honest with you. Uh, call it 38-35, Oklahoma win. Okay, here is my hot take. I think Charlie Brewer's hurt. Okay. You saw that You saw that throw at the end of the game, uh, end of regulation against TCU, wide open. He just completely missed it. He, I think he there's didn't something make deep throws all game. So you, I, think you, I mean, you might be on, on something. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think Oklahoma comes in and blows the doors off Baylor. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, okay. And function of inexperience. Let's go because uh, you did a score for this one. I'm I'm going to go OU 42 Baylor 21. Whew. They double them up. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what we'll happens. See. Um, all right, we've got. Uh, I think we've got three questions here, so let's let's knock these let's out real it. quick and then and then go for them. So one, my my friend Carter Carter Wersch asks, is Chad Morris our ceiling higher at OC? And um, I'll answer this and then throw this to you. Uh, we don't have an OC opening right now. I think Chad Morris is a really smart offensive mind. I would love for him to come be an analyst. I would like to go a different direction. Also, I don't think Chad Morris would take the TCU job. I think a lot of coaches that are fired from power five schools do take those OC jobs at other power five schools. Chad Morris also coached and won a state championship at my high school. Shout out Bay city. I think he is not the ceiling hire. If TCU were to make a replacement at an offensive coordinator, like you said, there's not an opening. I think, 
I don't have a list in front of me, but I think TCU could do better. I would not be disappointed if that was a choice that TCU made and he agreed to it. But I do think TCU can do better. We could certainly do worse. Um, That's true. Also, those of you tweeting at me to release the list, it's not happening. Uh, <laughs> do you have a, the do list? You, do you have the secret list? Yes, I'll show you the list. You can see the list. I'll, okay. I'll send you Great. the list, Great. but uh, I'm not releasing it. Okay, um, and then Lance Jewett has a couple questions. Okay. He says, first off, do you do you genuinely <laughs> this is really funny? Do you genuinely think that TCU is going to make a bowl game this season? You can answer first. Oh, uh, no, no. I, I, I think if you, if you wanted me to give like a percentage, like a there's like a fifty eight percent chance TCU makes a bowl game, but I don't think so. What do you think, Parker? Yeah, I'm going slightly better than a coin flip. Also, uh, I don't necessarily want to go get, like, blasted by Marshall in the first responder bowl. Like, that doesn't sound super fun to me. Can we go to the Chiefs Um, Bowl again? I don't know that we could get there. But... All that to say, I mean, my I would I would like for us to get to six wins. I feel like the five and seven APR bowl game is just the worst, and I don't I, want to do that. Well, I, I agree. Although, and and I've beat this drum for Patterson before because I believe in what he's saying. TCU really values getting to a bowl game because you get those extra practices for freshmen, sophomores, guys like that. Uh, they want to get a bowl game for the seniors, things like that. So they'll take that five and seven APR bowl if they get it, and obviously they want to get the six wins. So I think any bowl for TCU is a good thing, but. Yeah, getting blasted by Marshall is not exactly a great look. No, no. So I, I, I think I think they do it. I think they've got to – so we'll just go from a probabilistic sense. They're favored to win against Texas Tech. They're favored to win against West Virginia. They have a non-zero chance against winning against Oklahoma. So probability yeah. choose two I, out of three. That's going to be – that's going to say that's 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 in TCU's favor. For I have a non-zero game. chance against winning against Oklahoma. No, it's a no, you don't. <laughs> no, absolutely. Non-zero 11? chance. Yeah, man. Grant. 11 Grant McGalliards would get toasted against so we, we have a 0.5% <laughs> I'm tall. People no, forget about that. I'm saying zero. Um, <laughs> my calculator broke on that one. Uh, okay, all right. The on. last one, uh, Lance asks as well, um, can you talk a little bit about the college football playoff rankings? Are there good placements? Are there bad placements? ETC. I haven't dived into, dive, uh, dove, dive, divined. Um, into that. Like that, I used to do the poll rants, but uh, life's a little busy right now, and TCU's not good, so I don't care. Um, do you have thoughts on the on the rankings? Um, I, you know, it's funny. The one thought that I have is about Baylor. I think they're underrated. Honestly, I do. I, I think at thirteen, I think they're undefeated. Their non conference schedule was a, a joke. I mean, Rice, Stephen F. Austin, and um, what UTSA, and they only beat Rice by eight points, but. At the same time, they're undefeated. They haven't played Texas and Oklahoma yet, but they've beaten Iowa State. They beat Kansas State. They beat TCU. They beat Oklahoma State. Um, they should not be behind Florida and Auburn, both two lost teams in the SEC. Um, I think Minnesota, still at number eight, despite beating Penn State, is absolutely wild. Um, and I think putting Oregon and Utah ahead of Minnesota is nuts. I I could see putting Oregon ahead of Minnesota just because Oregon's only loss is to Auburn, but putting Utah and I'm high on Utah ahead of Minnesota is wild. Top four, Georgia's loss. Georgia's loss was to South Carolina. Alabama's loss was to LSU. Putting Georgia above Alabama is crazy to me. So yeah, that's that, South, that's, dude, that's insane. Okay, but Georgia has Georgia has better wins, but also that South Carolina loss looks was nasty, bad. Man. You lost Holy to Will Muschamp, but he just lost to Appalachian State. And my dad okay. went to App State for a semester. I like App State. That's tough. They should not be yeah. ahead of Alabama. First year head coach at App State. Jake Fromm yeah. no, hasn't no. thrown a pass more than six yards downfield since 2018. Look, he's a he's a hashtag game manager, okay? Yeah, I think in terms of the rankings, I think I just am kind of exhausted. I think the college football playoffs probably a net negative on the sport. I think Wait, wait, that... wait, 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 wait. We don't have time to, to delve into this, but in We can talk sen- about this during bowl season. Okay, in two sentences, explain what you just meant by that. I think it robs the sport of what it's truly about, which is these bowl matchups and these meaningful things. I think it I think it takes it, it shifts the balance of power away from 
on-field performance and more towards kind of expectation. It also takes all the worst parts of the BCS and puts those behind closed doors, which the only thing worse than like a bad standard is a bad standard that's not transparent. Um, so you think about like bias and consistency. The BCS was consistent, um, even though it was biased. And but bad. the college football playoff is biased and inconsistent.